David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.40 a.m. Central Daylight Time. God, just two more days to go, guys. Just two more days before we can actually get back to the time the time that we used to have before all this daylight savings nonsense came in. But we will only see it for four months because daylight savings time uh, lasts for eight months. It used to only last for six. Uh, It is the 1st of November, 2019. Tick-tock. Tick-tock. This is episode 158 of Bitcoin And. And I'd like to remind you, if you can, and I respect your time, go over to uh, iTunes. Give me a five-star review. They really help. It'd be awesome. Like, share, you know, tweet the podcast out. Help me out. Help a brother out. Help a brother out. Just like I want to help Bottle Pay out, okay? No, they are not a sponsor. I don't have any sponsors. Not that I don't want sponsors, but, you know, it is what it is. It's right now I am public service, but I do want to public service uh, this uh, whole bottle pay thing. I've been having a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun with it this morning, and I'm I knew that there was multiple platforms involved as to what you could stick the bottle pay button on, but I just learned today that they have that they're on. Well, they're ca- they're nine platforms capable. And those platforms are Instagram, Telegram, Reddit, Twitch, Stack Overflow, Twitter, YouTube, GitHub, and Mixcloud. Nine. Nine different platforms that you can stick a bottle pay button on and pay somebody on the other end if they have a bottle pay account. Get your ref link from bottle pay, shill the crap out of it, and have some fun by throwing around a thousand sats every once in a while. Like earlier today or yesterday, I uh, tipped, uh, let's see, who was it that I tipped? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm almost there, almost there. Uh, I t- this morning, I tipped David Parrish. He's been a really great listener and he always tips me. And so this morning, I decided, oh, well, hell, I'd just go ahead and, and, and tip him back. I mean, because, you know, why not? And then uh, I also tipped uh, Guy Swan because you, dude, if you're not listening to the Crypto Economy podcast, you need to be because he's going to be reading you all the papers and stuff that have come, you know, come down over the years uh, from Bitcoin, like from everything from the white paper to how lightning works and all that kind of stuff. But yesterday was the first day that I decided to try bottle pay on Instagram. And I'm, I'm sorry, Tib, but I'm going to butcher your name because I get the feeling that you're French. Uh, and I just, you know me, I can't pronounce people's names when they're not, you know, in the United States or, you know, the UK or something like that. You know, have me try to pronounce somebody's name in India or like a, somebody from Punjab. And yeah, I'm just going to butcher it. So, Tib, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it's Tibo Martial. That's what I'm thinking it is. T-H-I-B-A-U-D-M-A-R-E-C-H-A-L. Tipped him some sats on Instagram. And he didn't have an Instagram bottle pay. So he set one up apparently this morning and got it going on and then uh, received my sats, which had been pending. It was really interesting because it looks like the lightning, because, you know, bottle pay happens over lightning. It looks like the invoice uh, had settled but it looks like it settled in somehow or another into bottle pay itself because it took like, I think it was longer than 12 hours. And I'm pretty sure that that 
invoice would have just, you know, disappeared and the SAT's been returned to me. Um, but it showed as pending all this time. And sometime this, uh, sometime this morning, uh, Tib like wrote me on, on Twitter and said that he had gotten the SAT. So an interest, it's, it's kind of interesting the way that bottle pay is working. Anyway, if you don't have bottle pay, go get bottle pay. It's a really, it's not only is it interesting to see, you know, watch work and, and the fact that they're on nine platforms, but it's kind of fun, you know, like I got like 10 bucks in my bottle pay wallet. So I've got, you know, which all came through donations, by the way. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, I basically drained my, uh, or I didn't drain, but I, I got some out of my tipping account that had been around for, you know, that's been around for a while, uh, just to play with bottle pay a lot more than I had been paying with playing with it. And it's fantastic. It's quick. It's easy. If you're not using bottle pay, I, I don't really know what, what you're doing with your, with your life. Okay. That's enough for the community stuff. News. It's the news, brothers. This is Wolfie Zhao writing for Coindesk uh, sometime yesterday. No, I'm sorry. This was Halloween Eve or Hallow's Eve Eve, whatever you want to say it. Uh, Leaked transcript details power struggle inside Bitcoin mining giant. You guessed it, Bitmain. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Getting some details out of this thing. Let's get into this one. A transcript of a Bitmain staff meeting reveals an ugly, ugly, ugly power struggle inside the world's biggest Bitcoin miner maker that led to the abrupt ousting of co-founder McCree Kechuan Jean. Coindesk has obtained a verified partial transcript from the hour-long meeting on Tuesday. In it, Jihan Wu, a co-founder of Bitmain who started the company with Jean in 2013, explained to all employees why he thought it was necessary to oust his longtime partner and former co-CEO. After stepping down from day-to-day management in December of 2018, Wu returned Tuesday as chairman of the company and executive director of the Beijing Bitmain subsidiary. He immediately made his presence felt. Earlier in the day, Wu notified staff that Jean had been dismissed from all his roles, effective immediately. During the subsequent all-hands meeting, he described a falling out between the two executives late last year. Quote, Jean escalated what should be a disagreement on an ordinary company business decision to a level of power struggle, Wu told the staff. Uh, Wu said in Tuesday's meeting that he and Jean had butted heads since 2015. However, things came to a head in December of 2018 when Bitmain decided on a round of major layoffs. Wu pushed for the layoffs while Jean initially resisted. According to Wu, he and three other founding members of Bitmain tried to persuade Jean to reach a unanimous decision on the layoffs, which Wu and others viewed as necessary for saving the company. Oh, I don't know, Wu. Maybe you shouldn't have got on the side of Bcash. Just saying, just a, just a suggestion. Continuing, Jean remained unconvinced, however, and tried to rally other senior and mid-level management against the layoff plan, Wu said, only to find out that most supported it. Wu said in Tuesday's meeting, quote, everyone knows in 2018, the company spent unnecessary and hasty investment everywhere on research and development projects and hiring dozens and hundreds of people without a second thought. Everyone supported the layoffs, end quote. Still, Jean ordered a second meeting on December the 17th, arguing that he should be the sole CEO and threatening to void stock option incentives for whoever wouldn't back him up. In the end, Jean's second attempt failed, Wu said, but the two came to an agreement to both step down as co-CEOs and Bitmain moved ahead with layoffs. Quote, I know Jean is an insecure person and can be bitter. Oh God, this is sad. I chose to take a further step back and let him take the glory role of chairman, Wu said in the meeting. However, the turmoil caused serious divisions within the company and spooked Bitmain's trading partners at a time when the crypto market was at its bottom, according to Wu's account. Quote, right on that day, we had suppliers calling us to push for clearing accounts payable. The Bank of Beijing already agreed to give us credit lines, but that got cut the next day, end quote. Wu said, adding, quote, had it not been... 
the bounce back of the Bitcoin price in later months, the company may not have been able to weather through the winter last year, end quote. 2019 hasn't been great for Bitmain, Wu said in Tuesday's internal meeting. Even with Bitcoin's price rebound, Wu said the company didn't fully seize the moment. Quote, our mining equipment's market share is declining, he said. Our mining pool's dominance is also declining. Good. Indeed, Bitmain's major rival miner maker, including Canaan, What's Miner, and Inosilicon have all been able to increase sales following the market boom this year. Meanwhile, BTC.com and Amppool, Bitmain's flagship mining pools, lost their longtime dominant positions to Poolin, founded by former BTC.com creators and F2 Pool. Poolin and F2 Pool are currently the top two mining pools in the world based on the real-time hash rate distribution. Calls to Jean's mobile number, as well as subsequent text messages requesting comment, were not answered. However, a Tencent news report said on Wednesday that Jean had already started approaching lawyers in an aim to bring a lawsuit against Bitmain. A spokesperson for Bitmain would not comment. Wu and Jean seem to have been have sparred over what Wu called Jean's crazy ideas, namely doubling down on the company's artificial intelligence business, which is unrelated to Bitcoin mining. According to Wu, some of Jean's ideas, including getting finance and accounting employees in Shenzhen, to take up sales roles for AI products. Quote, who will be handling our book in Shenzhen? How are we going to present the financial data for an IPO? Wu asked, adding, quote, recruiting 300 fresh graduates? How many staff do we have right now? Do we have sufficient resources to train them if we recruit this many people in one shot? He further alleged that Jean recently proposed investing more in a business that was already distressed and had burnt out of the firm's core developers who are sick at home. I don't know what that means. AI is a venture investment for Bitmain, Wu said. It still needs a considerable amount of investment. We have to keep making money for, from our main business in order to have the venture investment in AI. Wu added, quote, some said inside the company, I'm the one who handles business and John handles technology. I want to ask between John and I, who really has a love for the technology? John doesn't love technology. He loves that feeling of fulfilling his endless desire for power. He doesn't love technology. He loves vanity. Folks, we have no options but to keep John away from this company. God, end quote. According to the Tencent News, Bitmain has already filed an application in the U.S. seeking to go public again. The confidential filing was reportedly submitted one week before what the news outlet described as Wu's coup. <laughs> I love it when it rhymes. The report added that on October the 28th, one day before Wu's email, Jean was still attending a conference in Shenzhen on behalf of Bitmain to promote its AI products. Jean returned to Beijing after the news broke on Tuesday, but has been barred from entering the company's offices, Tencent News said. However, a major question remains unanswered. How did Bitmain manage to dismiss Zahn from all of his roles given that he was the chairman and major shareholder? Yeah, that's my question. This is not over by a long shot, people. Continuing, prior to the December 2018 shakeup, Jean holds 36% of Bitmain's holding company, while Wu had just 20.25%, according to Bitmain's 2018 IPO filing in Hong Kong, citing data from September 2018. Other major shareholders include founding members. There's no way I'm pronouncing these guys' names. So Guy 1 at 4.18%, Guy 2 at 6.26%, and Guy 3 at 4.18%, as well as a trust that held 18.47% as the company's employee stock option incentive. Other major external shareholders include Sequoia China Capital at 2.7%, Richway Investment Limited at 1.17%, and Sinovation at 1.13%. So again, the question, this is me talking, the question is how... How does this kind of thing happen? You're talking about the chairman and the major shareholder being ousted while he was out of town. Out of town. I wanted to believe that Bitmain was going to come back and be a good Bitcoin company. I no longer think that this is the case. Um, and I don't think it's going to be because they come back and be a crappy Bitcoin company because I don't think that they're going to survive. This type of thing destroys companies, and we can tell from the wording from Jihan that there is, he's using, Jihan is using language that is just really derogatory towards his 
ex, what I guess we'll call his ex business partner and co-founder. And that's the kind of thing that if Jean does grab lawyers, uh, this thing's going to go south like a duck in winter. So if you got stock in Bit, or well, clearly you don't have stock in Bitmain, but if you have any interest in Bitmain, like pending orders, I'd get them. I would push to get them or I would close those invoices and tell them to, you know, do whatever with themselves. And I don't know, go to Canaan or something like that. Anyway, whatever. BISC unveils new trade protocol promoting principles of decentralization. This is Landon Manning writing yesterday for Bitcoin Magazine. BISC, a prominent decentralized cryptocurrency exchange, has launched a major software update promising new features, such as a trade protocol that further reinforces the trustless nature of the system. The BIS developers announced this update via blog post on October the 29th, promising two major changes, a new trade protocol that removes the influence of third-party arbitrators and a way for new accounts to gain accreditation as a reputable trader of crypto assets without compromising user anonymity or site security. A leading BIS developer who wishes to remain anonymous, good for you, spoke with Bitcoin Magazine about this development. According to this developer, throughout the development cycles of BIS, the biggest challenges has been attracting more developers who really care about privacy, security, and freedom. BISC is uncompromising in its approach to handling these principles, and it's devised a slew of tools and approaches to accomplish its goal of becoming maximally <laughs> decentralized Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> a maximally decentralized Bitcoin exchange network that promotes these principles. BISC is particularly noteworthy as a truly decentralized cryptocurrency exchange due to its DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. Founder Manfred Carrer, or Carrer, originally ran BISC with a more traditional company structure when he founded the organization, but since May of 2019, he has fully removed his unique privileges and access. In BISC's current state, the DAO infrastructure, first formalized in April of 2019, now allows BISC to be operated directly by its stakeholders and contributors, although longtime developers like Karar or Career still play a major role. This version 1.2 update to BISC has removed the role of the third-party arbitrators as a key holder entirely. So its trade protocol now works by means of a two of two multi-sig escrow rather than two of three as this third key was for the arbitrators. Arbitration is the old version of BISC was, I'm sorry, hold on, let me try that again. Arbitration in the old versions of BISC was always considered an imperfect solution to the problem of dispute resolution, said the BISC source. It required users to trust anonymous third parties and legal advice from the early days of the project indicated arbitrators were in a gray area because of their key in the multi-sig escrow. So it wasn't great for anyone, but it worked reasonably well while developers worked on the BISC DAO and other elements of the software critical to trading. Furthermore, until the BISC DAO actually launched, there wasn't just wasn't a way to implement anything better, end quote. Additionally, this update has reworked the dispute resolution system into a three-layered version with the express purpose of keeping the process streamlined. The first layer is an encrypted platform between the two parties conducting a trade, allowing both to privately hash out any minor discrepancies that may arise. We've, uh, sorry, quote, we've received a lot of compliments about trader chat, the source said. As with many issues, there's simply no reason for a third party to intervene, end quote. They went on to state that this change to its protocol has increased speed and privacy for solving a lot of issues. Otherwise, if things go well, the new trade protocol really shouldn't affect a user's daily experience. There you go. Uh, looks like BISC is moving right on ahead, and this is good news. The only thing about it is I wonder if he was able to remove his privileges, will he be able to reinstall his privileges? Something to think about. Let's hope for the best. Helen Parts is writing for Cointelegraph. Regulators hostile to Bitcoin will fall out of favor, warns Samson Moe. All right. Hostility to Bitcoin from the global regulators is a double-edged sword that can hurt authorities if they lose their power, the Blockstream chief strategy officer warned. During a panel at Liquid Meetup at Litecoin Summit on October the 29th, Blockstream CSO Samson Moe predicted that regulatory restrictions to Bitcoin could have both favorable and unfavorable consequences for the regulators themselves. The panel is part of a 
part of the event hosted by BTC technology firm Blockstream and BTSE Exchange in Las Vegas. BTSE's global marketing director, Lena Seach, Seach? Seach. I'm going with Seach. S-E-I-C-H-E. Lena Seach shared on October the 31st. Alongside Mao, the panel was also featured, oh, sorry, the panel also featured Litecoin founder Charlie Lee and industry Twitter personality Whale Panda. During the discussion, Mo pointed out that Bitcoin really solves a lot of issues in the existing financial system, such as inflation. He also predicted that global jurisdictions will eventually have to adopt it due to the multitude of benefits of the cryptocurrency. However, they also might be hostile to it, Mao noted, or Mo, sorry, pretty sure it's Mo, urging that excessive hostility can lead to unfortunate consequences if regulators' power is undermined by this borderless technology. He said, quote, they might be hostile to it, but the thing is hostility to Bitcoin is a double-edged sword. Like if you are in power and you ban Bitcoin, you fall out of power. Oh, and you fall out of power, then you're screwed. People need to be careful when they are enforcing regulation and creating all this policy because you could be on the other side of the sword down the road if you fall out of favor. Mo further emphasized Bitcoin's decentralized and deflationary nature as one of the major benefits of the soon-to-come global adoption, forecasting that people will eventually find out those advantages. He also cited the growing adoption of Bitcoin in China, claiming that both people and the government in the country love Bitcoin. The Bitcoin bull declared, quote, Bitcoin is allowing you to make the transactions that people don't want you to make. It's essentially digital freedom, end quote. Earlier this year, Mo claimed that Bitcoin is not ideal for payments, but this could be solved by the Lightning Network, a second layer payment protocol that works on top of Bitcoin to increase transaction capacity. And yes, it does. And yeah, so our, our man Mo is, is speaking some truth there. Bitcoin's dissident sees dark warnings in China's blockchain push. Okay, this is Coindesk's Lee Kuhn writing on Halloween. Boo, spooky. China's recent multi-front embrace of blockchain technology has divided the global cryptocurrency community. While some see it as helpful validation, others worry that crypto is diverging further from its anti-authoritarian roots. Authorities in China have long discouraged investment in grassroots cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, but the world's most populous country is making significant progress with plans for a national cryptocurrency that could increase the government's surveillance powers over the economy. Coindesk spoke with one anonymous Bitcoiner who grew up in China and has since moved elsewhere into East Asia. Far from seeing blockchain adoption as a march toward liberation, he expects the government to use such technologies to increase its control over the population. After all, the propaganda office for China's Communist Party announced a blockchain-based application over the weekend that allows members to, I love it, pledge their allegiance to the party. <laughs> Given China's mass detention centers currently being used to re-educate over a million Chinese Muslims, this Bitcoiner feared local minorities will face even harsher conditions under a fully integrated financial system controlled by the government. What follows is a condensed transcript of the interview with this gray-beard Bitcoiner, a programmer who started following the project in 2014. Okay, so let's get into some of these questions here. Question, what do you think about the recent pro-blockchain announcement coming out of China? Answer, it terrifies the crap out of me. <laughs> Crypto is technology just like nuclear fusion is just technology. You can use it to create nuclear generators that might benefit a lot of humanity, or you can use it to create atomic bombs. We do, not, we do need to think about ethics when it comes to these things. I agree. If the value is something a totalitarian state can take a hold of and use to track every single person and what they're doing, enforcing the strictest currency controls, then this is what they are going to do. Question, why do you think there are so many people celebrating such news, this as a positive indicator for adoption in the crypto community? Answer is people in East Asia are very comfortable with the idea that the government is like our parents that they'll take care of us. Even if we, even if they read novels like Brave New World, 1984, the word to them is okay for the most part, or sorry, the world is to them is okay. But 
The few people who want to act in a way that the government does not agree with will be persecuted. My parents have been Christian missionaries for about 18 years now, and being a missionary is outlawed in China. Our phones were getting tapped. Our computer was getting hacked. My parents' names were on the Chinese police blacklist. People like my parents are called terrorists or Tibetan freedom fighters. In China, there's a very strict there's very strict capital controls. So when I read about Bitcoin, it was like, this is a great way to store money with real censorship resistance. Question. How did you guys live under such constant surveillance? Answer. We had very specific protocols for operational security. For example... When we're talking over the phone or email, we switch, we switch out all sensitive words and make sure our servers are not located in China. My parents once had their WePay and Alipay accounts cut off, but luckily they had cash, fiat currency, and physical cash so they could live. If China had been 100% digital, there would have been no way for them to survive. Question. How does your family use decentralized blockchain technology today? Answer. I don't send my parents money in crypto. But my biggest fear growing up was that my parents would be deported. In China, after they tell you that you need to leave the country, you need to liquidate all of your assets inside of 48 hours. We used to practice this thing where we'd pack everything we have in less than 48 hours. It was kind of like our drill. Right now, all of all my parents' assets are in crypto. As long as there's one of us somewhere in the world with access to our private key, our wealth is okay. It's still very difficult for my parents to access their crypto, though. They can't do it by themselves. They definitely need my help. That's why I hold most of their stuff. In that way, accessibility with crypto is still lacking, even if it provides a store of value and my parents don't really understand crypto the way they understand banking services. At the end of the day, censorship resistance is not enough. We need a private way of transacting and a way to make it accessible, understandable to everyone, everyone, everywhere. We're not there yet. So there, there, that's some, this is, you know, kind of scary. That whole thing coming out of Xi Jinping is, I mean, the, the the ferocity of the about face on cryptocurrency in general is enough to make, should be enough to make you stop and go, huh, Uh, right there, right then and there. That's where you should be going. I'm not sure. We will have to see, but I'm pretty sure that this guy is right. They're not going to be using blockchain the way that we think about blockchain. They have no interest whatsoever in anonymity. Hell, we can't even get our own government to at least get, you know, at least, you know, buy into the idea that maybe we should be able to transact without their knowledge. I mean, not everybody's a drug dealer. I mean, come on, guys. But in China, dude, uh, yeah, it's going to be. This is probably going to be ugly. Okay, now, out of China into Korea, we've got Coindesk's William Foxley writing this morning that Binance enters Korean market with new business entity. Binance may have taken another step toward launching a crypto exchange arm in South Korea. Binance's presence presence in the Korean market was confirmed Friday by Coindesk Korea after the company registered Binance Co.Limited with local authorities on October the 29th. The new arm, which has Binance CFO Wee Zhao as co-rep, come on the heels of suggestions that Binance intends to open a Beijing office. Completing an office in Shanghai, though, it's not to be an exchange due to local regulatory restrictions. Operating out of Malta, Binance has local entities in Singapore, Jersey, and Uganda, as well as partner entity in the United States. Binance CEO, CZ, has also told Coindesk recently the firm has plans for expansion in Russia, though that may not involve a new exchange branch. Coindesk Korea reached out to Binance to confirm the acquisition of Binance Co. Limited, a Korean entity opened this past spring by parent firm BXB Inc., the crypto exchange said, quote, Binance has incorporated corporations in several countries as part of its long-term business plan, end quote. This April, CZ told Coindesk Korea that Binance was looking for a clear signal from Korean regulators before moving in. The following month, Korean corporation Binance LLC registered in the country with no known affiliation to the crypto exchange. Two months later, the launch of, the, of a Korean arm seemed imminent after CZ confirmed conversations with BXB Inc., which was also eyeing the issuance of its own one-pegged stablecoin. At the time, Binance posted a job ad for a South Korean compliance officer. With 
the acquisition, Coindesk Korea says Binance will soon issue a yuan stablecoin under its Venus project. The crypto exchange announced its stablecoin program in August. So moving in. <laughs> I, it, what's surprising, though, for me is that Binance doesn't hadn't already had a years long presence in South Korea, considering all the stories we've heard over the years of how South Koreans just went ballers in on every altcoin under the sun. You'd think that Binance would have been there, but lo and behold, they weren't. William Suberg is writing for Cointelegraph. Smart money came in after first Bitcoin ETF rejection, says analyst. Let's see what this is all about. Bitcoin changed its volatility characteristics as Cameron and Tyler Winklevosses unveiled the first Bitcoin exchange-traded fund, New Data Claims. Uploaded to social media by well-known statistician Willie Wu on November the 1st, a chart of Bitcoin volatility shows a new phase beginning around March of 2017. This, the time at which U.S. regulators rejected the Winklevi ETF application, was nonetheless a watershed moment for Bitcoin. Quote, my thesis has always been that the 2017 Winklevi ETF attempt was the first time in Bitcoin's history that it was decentralized as a financial instrument instead of drug money, Wu summarized. He added, quote, it was covered in the WSJ, or the Wall Street Journal. Smart money came in, the rise of crypto quant funds, end quote. According to Wu's chart, the ETF denial formed the definitive reversal of lessening vol volatility, which had characterized Bitcoin since 2012. Thereafter, Volatility increased, albeit not to the extent seen during that year. Further ETF rejections similarly failed to produce the same price impact seen in March 2017. As Cointelegraph reported, volatility nonetheless remains a point of reflection for market participants keen to attract more new investment into the cryptocurrency space. Earlier this year, Brian Armstrong, CEO of cryptocurrency exchange Conbase, highlighted the need to reduce the impact of volatility through the use of instruments such as stablecoins. So, yeah, looking at Willy Woo's chart, volatility overall has absolutely decreased. And it's interesting that this hasn't been posited before. I wonder why not. Okay, let's get to this one. Bitcoin Magazine's Landon Manning is writing on Boo uh, Halloween. And this is a definitely a boo moment. In fact, this almost ended up being my daily train wrecked, but I found something better. Let's get into it. Mt. Gox rehabilitation plan deadline extended again. Hell, did you? Well, duh. This is never going to go away, people. Mt. Gox is going to be with us forever. Victims of the Mt. Gox hack will have to keep on waiting for the next step in their long journey towards reimbursement. Nuboki Kabayashi, trustee for the defunct cryptocurrency exchange, announced that the deadline to form a concrete plan to compensate defrauded customers has been extended to March 31st, 2020. The Tokyo District Court has agreed to his request just as the previous deadline of October the 28th, 2019 was about to expire. The announcement states that the, a large number of claims that the rehabilitation trustee fully or partially disapproved remains undetermined and that, quote, it is not possible at this moment to make appropriate provisions in a rehabilitation plan on modifications of the rights of the re rehabilitation claims, repayment methods, and appropriate measures for the undetermined rehabilitation claims, end quote. Therefore, it goes on. It is not practically possible to have meaningful discussions with relevant parties about repayment methods, end quote. The rehabilitation process for Mt. Gox has been a particularly thorny issue in the cryptocurrency space as huge numbers of users lost large amounts of money due to hacks and mismanagement at the upper levels of the company. In 2018, Kobayashi began the rehabilitation process, claiming the individual users had a window of a couple of months to file themselves in, before forever losing this opportunity. After first opening the application process to corporate clients, the proceedings have encountered several snags. For starters, since the exchange operated so early in the cryptocurrency space, the estimated 850,000 BTC that the company lost has risen astronomically in price. Kobayashi raised $230 million from the sale of large chunks of crypto assets in September of 2018, but this does not even cover the valuation of these assets at 2014 prices. 
When estimating, based on the current value of one Bitcoin, such assets would be worth a whopping $7.65 billion. In April of 2019, Mt. Gox began publicly making tweaks to its civil rehabilitation plan for defrauded customers. Although the initial announcement claimed that the window for entering the program would close, Kobayashi began automatically enrolling defrauded users that had not already done so themselves. He could only begin this process using the information he had. However, so only customers who had submitted all relevant KYC information in 2014 were eligible. Still, the plan to connect these enrolled customers with any sort of actual remuneration is no closer to becoming a reality, especially now that the deadline to have a plan has been pushed back. So Mt. Gox, the Spectre, rightfully so, this is announced, or the, the story was on October the 31st or Halloween. It should scare everybody. And if you have your coins on exchanges and you're not actively trading, do yourself a favor. Get them off. Uh, Binance, there's Binance news. I'm not going to get into it, but, uh, apparently their email, some of their emails got hacked for, it's anywhere from some to a whole bunch. Anyway, got hacked, released again. If it's not your keys, it's not your Bitcoin. Get your stuff off of all exchanges, please. Cointelegraph's Marie Juliet is writing expert says, U.S. should cut crypto firms some slack to compete with China. Got you think? <laughs> oh, my. Fintech and regulation experts have said the United States needs to wake up to China's proactive pursuit of a central bank digital currency. A Fortune report published on November the 1st pointed to the fact that digital currency looks poised to play an increasingly important role in the standoff between the two superpowers. As Mike Wassel Wassel? Yeah, I'm going to go with Mike Wassel, managing partner at Deer Creek, a fintech-focused corporate strategy firm that works across Asia, Pacific, and the U.S., told Fortune, quote, China is making these very large macro plays. They want to maintain control and be seen as leaders, and so adopting blockchain and being public about it, as we saw recently, is going to stir a lot of interest, in quote. Duncan Wong Chief executive of Hong Kong-based startup CryptoBLK ventured that the recent endorsement of blockchain innovation by Chinese President Xi is likely to accelerate the rollout of the People Bank's People's Bank of China plan to launch a central bank digital currency, or the CBDC. As Wassel noted, China's race to launch its CBDC first is likely to send a signal to global competitors that this is the new paradigm. The country already has a vast digital payment ecosystem with $0.10 WeChat Pay, counting over 1 billion users, and Alibaba Alipay, 1.2 billion users. Wow. Wow. Man, that's a lot of people, man. Li Shen, a researcher at the Chinese University in Hong Kong, whose work focuses on China's financial development and government regulation told Fortune underscored that the country's approach to digital currency and blockchain bifurcates between encouragement and caution. The country is notoriously opposed to decentralized cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and pursued a historic blanket criminalization of initial coin offerings alongside a crypto exchange crackdown back in 2017. Yet, when it comes to blockchain innovation in the industrial and particularly financial sectors, Lee argued that advancements in CBDC development have taken place within the, quote, relatively permissive attitude of Chinese or sorry, China's financial regulators and central bank, end quote. Further, she says, I think it's fair to say China's fintech revolution would not achieve what is what it is now without the overall permissive attitude of Chinese government regulations. Insofar as developers remain in these parameters set by the state in terms of the direction of innovation, he said he expected to see accelerated blockchain implementation in China. Wassel, oh, sorry, hold on. By contrast, Wassel argued that the U.S. is stuck trying to regulate its way to innovation. A U.S. CBDC is an inevitability, he said, and the government should be capitalizing on the interest sparked by Facebook's Libra to open up a larger conversation about the country's currency future. Once digital currency gains traction, he stressed, it will be gradually and then all at once. 
The experts remained unanimous in considering that for the time being, China's CBDC is not likely to pose a threat to the United States dollar hegemony, but warned that the United States needs to cut blockchain firms a little more slack to allow some exploration if it is to stay ahead of the game. This summer, the former PBOC governor characterized Libra as being inseparable from the global dollarization trend, stressing the imperative for China to maintain a strong monetary status. Yeah, you think? So, yeah, that whole Xi Jinping thing is going to be echoing in our echo chamber for quite a while. Now, this is a good one. Venezuelans made lightning savvy hardware to use Bitcoin during blackouts. Nice. This is Coindesk's uh, Diana Aguilar writing sometime this morning. On March 7th, 2019, all the lights went out in Venezuela. Total blackout. While the electricity crisis was already part of everyday life, the blackout still crippled communications across the country. It also inspired Venezuelan Randy Brito to focus fully on the Locha Mesh Initiative, an open source project working to enable private messages and payments without an internet connection. During the blackout earlier this year, it became clear to Brito that poor internet infrastructure was a leading barrier to crypto adoption. People were using dollars during the blackout, not because they preferred cash, but because they lacked alternatives. Quote, in Venezuela, cryptocurrency adoption can be very complicated, Brito told Coindesk, adding, people can have trouble even downloading a wallet because of the lack of infrastructure. Locha Mesh has created two hardware prototypes so far. Terpial and Harpy, both of which act like small routers that don't rely on local Wi-Fi. Instead, they pass messages around the mesh until one outlet finally has an internet connection. It is not dissimilar to the work of New York-based startup Gotenna. Quote, these devices allow commerce by making it possible for users to send and receive payments using the Bitcoin network, Brito said, describing the devices as easy to carry and hide for safety purposes. In March, these small devices created an experimental system that actually worked for 22 consecutive hours, even connecting Harpy devices to the Blockstream satellite. I knew this was coming. I knew it. And relaying that connectivity to other users via the Terpial device. Next up came a focus on enabling small, fast payments using a scaling solution called the Lightning Network. Quote, the Lightning Network requires you to be connected. Otherwise, you wouldn't know if your counterpart is lying. These nodes, these devices are always connected to the Lightning Network, Brito said. The struggle to use Bitcoin without electricity is widespread across emerging markets, from Venezuela to Lebanon to the Palestinian territories. So Brito presented his latest mesh network hardware tools for such transaction at the 2019 Lightning Conference in Berlin. Because Locha Mesh is currently looking for investors and donors, his six-person team aims to start selling these devices in the first quarter of 2020. Quote, we are currently finishing the second prototype and development kits, he said. The team's expectations are set on providing an accessible and safe form of communication for anyone in the world, said Luis Ruiz, CTO and co-founder of Lochitol Coindesk, said Ruiz, quote, basically, we are providing an accessible solution for anyone who finds themselves without energy or internet access in need for a safe, decentralized, and censorship way of communication. There you go. It's happening. I knew at one point or another Mesh was going to hook up with Satnode or with the uh, Blockstream satellite. It's happened. I'm happy. I'm excited. I hope you're excited too. We're going to get into the last story right now. This is Argentina's central bank bans Bitcoin purchases with credit cards. Cointelegraph's Jack Martin is writing this morning. After recently imposing limits on U.S. dollar purchases, the Central Bank of Argentina announced October 31st that citizens are prohibited from using credit cards to buy Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. The news was initially reported by Cointelegraph Brazil on November the 1st. The measures were published in a communication covering several industries in which credit card use was limited or prohibited. <laughs> Jeez, guys. The section referring to cryptocurrency reads, quote, acquisition of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. It is prohibited to purchase BTC with this payment method. The only remaining alternative for this investment is to do so with funds transferred from a bank account. 
It is unclear whether the rules apply to credit card only to credit cards or if this includes debit or prepaid cards. The BCA says that these measures are critical to preserving the country's foreign exchange reserves. According to ec- experts, the central bank intends to block the entry of dollars into the country, seeking to have stronger exchange control. This follows a move by the BCA earlier this week, which limited the amount of U.S. dollars Argentinian citizens could buy each month. The maximum amount was re- reduced from 10,000 USD to just 200 USD. At the time, this caused a spike in Bitcoin trading, which these latest measures would seem to partially address. So there you go. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Vital statistics brought to you by BitInfo Charts, Mempool, and 1ML. We got Bitcoin at a price of 9200 We have a high over at BitAsset at 9193 We have a low over at... Oh, wait. That, I am sorry. Everything just changed. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm messing up my math. It has now changed. Bitcoin is at $9,137. We have a high at BitAsset of 9200 We have a low at HitBTC of 9,103. We have uh, 284,000 transactions that happened over the last 24 hours with about 11,800 transactions happening per hour on average. 1.3 million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours, and that's about $13 billion USD and being sent via Bitcoin. 58,000 BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours, and the average transaction value is right around 5 BTC, while the median transaction value is 0.034, or about 300 bucks. Block time is high. Yes, we've lost some, some hash rate. 12 minutes and 0 seconds. 0.3 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 36 BTC have been taken overall in fees over the past 24 hours. The hash rate is at 87.87 exahashes per second, reflecting an 8% loss in 24 hours of hash rate. And the last person to oh commit to the GitHub, this may just be, this may just be because the white paper was released on on uh, Halloween, but the last GitHub commit was on Halloween. Nice. Nice. Ethereum is at 187, Bcash at 274, Litecoin at 58, BSV at 127, Ethereum Classic at 5, well, 487, rounding up a little too hardcore there. Dogecoin is at 0.0027. With 28,000 transactions over the last 24 hours, it beats out Litecoin again. So Litecoin has basically been underneath Doge for weeks in the amount of transactions being done on that particular chain. Probably not good news for Litecoin. Let's look at Mempool. This is for those of you who don't know, because I sometimes, well, actually all the time, I, I, I'm i remiss in telling you guys what these things are about. This is the amount of transactions that are waiting to be cleared. They're in memory. So they've been pooled in the memory Mempool. M-E-M-P-O-O-L. We are 13 blocks deep in said mempool. So it's pretty, yeah, there's lots of transactions that need to be confirmed. Unconfirmed transactions are sitting at 26,000 right now. Looks to me like all the blocks are well over one megabyte. There, I'm looking at 1.4, 1.39, 1.3, 1.3, 1.2, 1.2. So looks like there's a, some, some good traffic going on. Let's look at the Lightning Network. We are at, we are over 10,300 nodes. In fact, 10,311. So October 31st. Nice. I like that. Even though it's November the 1st. Network capacity has gained. We are now at 824 BTC on the network, representing about $7.5 million USD. We have... On the day-over-day basis, we have a drop in the amount of new nodes coming online. We are down 28%, and only five new nodes came online in the last 24 hours. But 103 brand-spanking-new, diaper-wearing, bottle-sucking-new channels 
has just hit the network in the last 24 hours. And that represents a 35% increase in the number of new channels constructed in the last 24 hours. That's going to do it for Vitals. Ending Journey Week with uh, this particular tune from Journey. Again, I have gone out of my way to find the live version because I just like live better. It may not sound as good. I mean, and when I mean sound, I don't mean performance. I mean sound, like the quality of the microphones, the quality of the recording, how much noise is induced into the lines of the mics and guitar cables, the mixing, all that kind of stuff. That's the sound. What I'm looking for is the energy of the performance. And the and the reason it's important to me to bring you the live stuff instead of the studio stuff is that it illustrates just how prone to the environment any human being is. In a, in a studio, if you're all by yourself locked in a vocal chamber, you're not getting any input. You know what to sing, you know how to sing, let's let's assume that, but you're not getting any input that modulates your energy level or how you might emphasize something. The, the human is a magical being that is able to listen and look and and be in, you know be inspired in milliseconds by a smile on somebody's face out in the audience. Even if it was mistake, maybe they were frowning and it just looked like they were smiling. That affects the human brain. And what affects the human brain while you're performing is going to come out in your performance. Live is important. I like live a hell of a lot better than I like any studio album. And that goes for any of the people that I've ever listened to. I would rather listen to them unless they just suck live. And that happens. There's a couple of bands that I like a couple of their songs, went to go see them live and was like, oh, God, you poor, you poor soul. That, and that just comes from, from uh, rehearsal. If you're not, if you're in a band and you're not rehearsing, you're not in a band. Anyway, uh, we're going to give you this one, hand this one over to the Neil Sean and Steve Perry and the boys and you can just go ahead and roll it off.
Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Whale Panda. That is at Whale Panda, all one word on Twitter. Oh, good Lord. He's He's got a screenshot from bitmex.com or at bitmex.com. The first one says, take your BTC and run. Last day for withdrawals. The second one says, hacked. Good God, y'all. Okay, this is Coindesk. Uh, William Foxy, Foxley writing this morning, after all this apparently has happened, uh, he says, BitMEX exchange exposes user base and email mishap. Oh, God, that's not the word I would have used. He is writing this sometime again sometime this morning. He says, if you have an account with crypto derivatives exchange BitMEX, there's never been a better time to update your security preferences. On Friday... At 8 o'clock UTC, BitMEX alerted its clientele via blog and Twitter that it had accidentally revealed all of its users' emails via carbon copy. Oh, God, Lord. So, if you have an account with BitMEX, anyone obtaining the email has a portion of what's needed to access your account. It also potentially opens users up to targeted phishing attacks. According to the data tweeted by data analytics firm Skew, BitMEX has around 22,000 users daily. Shit, I thought it was more than that. Quote, we are aware that some of our users have received general user update email earlier today, which contained the email addresses of other users, the blog states. Our team have acted immediately to contain the issue, and we are taking steps to understand the extent of the impact. End quote. BitMEX has now asked customers to add BitMEX's support email to their contact list to decrease phishing emails along with adding two-factor authentication or 2FA. The exchange appeared to suggest a bug caused the incident saying, quote, the error which which has caused this has been identified and fixed. The mishap adds to the woes of the exchange, which is also reportedly being probed by the United States Commodity Futures Exchange Commission, or the CFTC, over whether it allowed U.S. traders to use the platform. BitMEX geo-blocks multiple countries from participating on its exchange, including the United States, but some users may jump the fence by using virtual private networks or VPNs, however. One of the largest crypto derivatives markets known for its leverage rates of up to 100x, BitMEX operates out of the same shells. Its largest product, the XBT slash USD trade pair, had a 24-hour trade volume of $2.8 billion as of press time, according to CoinGecko. So guys, again, dudes, if you're, if you're just leaving your stuff on an exchange, it's just going to be gone one day. It's just going to be gone. All of us are at risk, even if we're not on an exchange. We could lose our private keys. It's, it's bad enough as it is, right? Don't leave your stuff on exchanges because at least if you lose your own private keys, there's nobody else to blame. If you leave it on here, you have yourself to blame and BitMEX or whatever exchange. Again, proof of keys, Trace Mayer's uh, initiative that he started, I want to say last year, um, is coming up. Proof of keys is coming up. And what is proof of keys? That is when you get all of your stuff off of your exchanges. And I can't remember exactly what day it is. I think it coincides. I want to say it coincides with the first, uh, Bitcoin actually mined. Um, and I, th- I want to say that's next, I think that's in January. So it should be sometime in Jan- I want to say January 13th, 2020. Not exactly sure. Google trace mayor and you will find, and then, and then proof of keys, or you might as well just Google proof of keys. And you'll find out everything you need to know. But it's where everybody in the world that wants to do proof of keys on the same day, all go and get your Bitcoin off of exchanges, Conbase, Kraken, whatever, you know, exchange or no exchange. Like like if you've got, if your Bitcoin is in custody, custody by some centralized authority, go get it. Put it into your your own keys and don't ever let go of those keys again. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile for the day. Terrible Joke Corner is not brought to you by Dad. Nope, Dad has left the building for now. This one is from Cali PhD. 
at C4LICRYPTO or Cali Crypto. How to tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile. Alligator, you'll see it later. Crocodile, you'll see it in a while. Oh, yeah, that's some good stuff right there. Thank you, Cali PhD or at Cali Crypto. That was a that was a nice little uh, departure from always having to go to Dad Says Jokes, which is a great repository for some of the most terrible jokes on the face of the planet. I highly recommend it if you want to go get your cringe on. Okay, weekend. It's the weekend. It's Friday. Um, again, I want to put the call of action into the streets. I could really use... Uh, so like a five-star review, like share this podcast. If you like somebody so that you can drive to work and know what the hell the news said without getting into a wreck because you're reading the news on your cell phone while driving the 405 in California, then give me some love, man. Give me some love. I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you guys out by reading the news for you so that you can do other things. Cause the thing that I love about podcasts is that you don't have to look at it. I mean, we, as humans, we gather the majority of our information through our eyes. And it's really the, the thing about that is, is that if you're gathering information through your eyes, you're kind of locked on that one thing. Uh, so if you're gathering information as to what to not run into and you want other information, hit up a podcast. Hit up my podcast and tell all your friends to do it too. So again, a five-star review would be awesome. A like, a share. I would love a share. That would be really cool, man. People share my stuff. I want more people to share my stuff. You know, it'd be great. It would make my weekend. It really would. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.